You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas alongside Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, what's the most hilarious happening in the last week? What do you think? What's the most hilarious? Just an MMA? Well, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'll kick it wide open. What's the most hilarious thing that happened to you? Uh, I got a weird sunburn. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. I don't even know how it happened. I think, I suspect, the problem was a misapplication of sunscreen. I know what happened. You were out at the nude beach. Okay. You neglected the nether regions. Oh, I never neglect the nether regions, my man. Not in any sense. Uh, I was out at the Alberton Gorge with my uh, family nude, yesterday. In the nude. Yeah, I was wearing a brightly colored pair of swim trunks. And I think what had happened was I was doing the spray-on sunscreen. And because I was just like standing up, like standing there in the water holding a beer in a delightful koozie, by the way, for much of the afternoon, like playing with my kids. Jesus, just rubbing it in with the koozies at this point. And I was mainly worried about the back of my neck, the shoulders, the upper chest region. And so I got those really good. And then there's like a red band that just runs across the middle of my back. And so that's what I'm living with. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, you did, couldn't get your wife to spray down your uh, your back? You know, I think I thought I did at first, but then we were out there for a while. I definitely reapplied on my back, upper neck area kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, you're out there, you're having fun in the gorge, man. Yeah. You're living it up. My, I've, I don't want to speak for my entire family, but I guess I will just say I have reached the fuck it stage of applying sunscreen. Oh, no. Like, both to myself and to my children at this point. Because, you know, we got three, and our yeah. middle child has eczema. So we have to use this kind of like special sunscreen, which is uh, really thick and hard to apply. So at this point, I'm just like, you know what? We're not going to be in the sun that much. You're going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. Yeah. It's all work itself out. So a dude out there uh, out on the river with, a, I'm going to say like a tribal sort of design tattoo, but around his nipples. Okay. Both nipples. Yeah. Like almost like flames, but not quite, but just around both nipples, which led me to believe like he was of a certain age where I was like, you didn't have that done recently. That was misspent youth. But man, did you not have anybody who cared about you? Maybe like when you're 18, you think that the flames around your nipples are awesome. And then when you get to be about 40, you're like, I'm, I regret these nipple flames. It would be worth getting in a giant, huge chest piece tattoo just to cover up the nipple rings. Yeah. Like a, uh, just spitball in here, uh, rabid gorilla. Okay. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. For instance. Yeah. Just, just as a for instance. Off the top of my head. Yeah. Sure. Worth it. Definitely worth it. Hey guys, did you know that a great way to look fresh and toss a little money in the CME coffers is to pick up a cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt or Dundasso t-shirt? Those are always available on demand all the time, whenever you want them, over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. i got to change the wording on that. I am every time surprised by the expression, toss a little money in the CME coffers. It's just hard for me to say it Yeah. during and, a live read. And yet you write that ad copy. You know so what? You Talk could... to HQ. Get one of the interns on this. Okay. Tell them we need a new copy for the... Uh, for the, C, okay. the CME merch spot. Step one, 
acquire interns. We got music again this week from our friend, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at twitter.com, at The Fifth Element, facebook.com, slash The Fifth Element, or soundcloud.com, The Fifth Element Official. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Max Holloway had a DNA test, and the results are he is 100% that dude. And in round number two, for supposedly being tired and not wanting to fight anybody, Chris Cyborg is still whipping a whole lot of ass. And in round number three, is Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler, pound for pound, the best opportunity opportunity for schadenfreude in recent memory? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Shane Lowry. Okay. Fuck it, let's throw some punches, he says, in quotes. It's hard not to like Jeff Neal, right? Aside from his hands of steel, he's also known for being the guy uh, that fights in the UFC and also works full-time in a restaurant. Do you think he can continue to compete uh, and or he breaks in if if and or he breaks into the top ten in a stacked division or should more people follow his path? Uh, please discourse the law of diminishing returns as it applies to high level MMA training. I guess is what I'm getting at here. My money says Jeff Neal is going to get the fuck up out of that restaurant as soon as he can. Yeah, having well, worked in a restaurant before, you're waiting to yeah. get the fuck up out of there as soon as you can. Well, first of all, we appreciate this question from Irish professional golfer Shane Lowry. Okay, nice. Uh, also. This is one of the questions that you often run up against in these situations. Like, because this fight, you look at it, and as far as divisional rankings go, or like relevance to the division, if you didn't know anything about these two guys and what they've been up to lately and their fighting styles, you'd be like, so this is a main card pay-per-view bout, huh? Because it doesn't really necessarily seem that way. Neither one of these guys are like top 15 welterweights. Yeah. But... Once you know what you can expect from this fight, then you realize why it's there. And it did exactly what it was supposed to do there. Yeah. Exactly what it was supposed to do. Because the first two fights in this pay-per-view, you're kind of like, hmm, what what did I pay for? Right, exactly. And then you get to this one, and it's like, okay, they knew what was expected of them, and they fucking delivered it. Yeah, I would say Jeff Neal versus Nico Price is a real solid example of the new style of UFC fight. Like... Mo, many of us don't know who those, these dudes are. Many of the pay-per-view buying public. It's, it's to a lot of people, it's going to seem like two random guys throwing them haymakers. Or at least have, going out there and having a wild and entertaining fight, which this was. And Jeff Neal wins uh, via TKO. Strikes on the ground. Nasty strikes from inside the guard. Uh, two minutes and 39 seconds into the second round. And it's, you know, like, this is a great performance. And Jeff Neal has been outstanding since coming to the UFC uh, last or summer of 2017 from the Dana White Contender Series. He's won five in a row now. He's beat Bilal Muhammad and Nico Price in his last two. So, uh, you know, guys who have their own Wikipedia pages, guys we've heard of. He's got stoppages in uh, four of his five UFC appearances. He seems like a guy you might want to know. But at the same time, like, unless you have your ear really, really close to the ground, as far as, like, UFC up-and-comer contender news you might not know who this guy is yeah and like are you okay with that as being sort of like the new normal even in terms of pay-per-view fights not even just in terms of how we're stacking out uh espn plus cards here yeah i think you have to be okay with it when you see what you actually got out of it everybody got to do their stuff in this fight 
as you like to say. Everybody got to do their stuff. Nico Price at even one point is even trying to get his strikes going off of his back, and you're like, oh, that's Nico Price's stuff. Yeah, he had a double knockdown at one point, which just really kind of summed up the kind of fight that this was right until it got stopped. And yet, you do ask, like, you look at the top fifteen in at least on the UFC's official rankings, and you start to see some serious dudes in there at welterweight. And you're like, okay, we've seen uh, Jeff Neal against the guys like Bilal Muhammad and Nico Price, and yeah, he can really do it against those guys. And then you're like, man, as soon as you get into that top 15, though, and you start to look at uh, your guy Easy Dos Santos, for instance, like that's that's a, a realistic fight that he could hope for next. I mean, I don't know if Easy Dos Santos would be terribly happy about it if you're like, okay, yeah. You're, we know you're having trouble uh, breaking through and you're, you keep winning fights and nobody seems to care. How about a guy who's not ranked? How about that guy next? And so I can understand that he wouldn't be crazy about that. But then, you know, you go up higher up the rankings and you're looking at like Robbie Lawler, Ben Askren, Santiago Ponzinibbio, like all serious dudes when it gets up there. Yeah. And so that does seem like when you get to the point where you start asking yourself, it, was this guy just fun against people who weren't at that level? Or can he really be a guy? I think actually Easy Dos Santos is somebody where there's a good litmus test for you. If you can beat somebody like that and still be like an exciting fighter, and that, then that's when people are going to be like, okay, maybe he can do this thing against the real dudes. Yeah, and you know what? Jeff Neal, he definitely looks the part. He's got good all-around skills. He looks good throwing punches. He looks good on the ground. Does he look good getting off the bus? He looks pretty good getting off the dang bus. And uh, hellacious ground and pound here to stop Nico Price. So it's kind of like uh, all systems go at this point for uh, for Jeff Neal. Do you think, though, that the UFC is going to be like, hey, can you make a quick turnaround and fight Easy Dos Santos? And he's like, ah, I got to work a double. We're short-staffed on the weekend. I don't yeah. know. Let me call my manager and see if I can get it off. Yeah, no, yeah. he said I couldn't get it off. Man, it's, we had a big party coming in that night, and I just can't, I can't swing it. Let me call Ray, my see, manager. Not my, not my fight manager. The manager of the restaurant where I also work. Let me, let me see. Tom said he'd fill in for me anytime I need it. I felt like that was insincere when he said it, but I'm going to call and ask just to be sure. Not that we want to beat a dead horse here, but I feel like we continue to get these stories where Jeff Neal is working at a restaurant. Yeah. And we just had the story this past week about the guy who fought on the Contender Series. You're going to say the words dog insulin? Who was buying dog insulin. <laughs> And then you juxtapose that immediately with Dana White throwing himself like a gala birthday party where Gwen Stefani performed. thought I saw that tweet this, this uh, last couple days here. That's, I mean, I, I, can t- I've, I continue to think it's a bad look, and, but I've thought that, you know, seemingly for like a decade now. So yeah. it just seems like well, it's just the status quo. It's kind of a microcosm of like the greater American economic picture, isn't it? Because we're sold these stories about like, oh, the guy uses dog insulin. And like this guy is like working this job at a restaurant. And it's like, we're supposed to be what, like inspired by these stories. Like, oh, this guy, you know, he's a garbage man, but he gets up at like 4 a.m. to get his workout in first. So that that's how much he wants this. And yeah, like the same way we're sold these stories, like, oh, like inspiring thing of a girl who sold uh, lemonade to get up the money for her mother's dialysis treatment. And you're like, no, that's not a heartwarming story. That's a story about a failing society, like a system that is broken down, especially when on the other side you got the Gwen Stefani parties. Looks like a cool party, though. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Andrew Johns, who writes, uh, what the fuck is Joe Rogan talking about? This oh, is a quote. Cyborg okay. is exhausted. Yeah, no. 
It's another quote. Max Holloway is the consensus best featherweight champ. Consensus between no Joe and nobody else would be my best guess. Uh, that one is no doubt more a UFC-directed storyline, but still, please discuss why Rogan is more and more just saying stuff and we, why the UFC is so determined to shit on Jose Aldo's title reign. Uh, we do appreciate hearing from Andrew Gary Joey Johns, uh, Australian, former Australian professional rugby player. So that's nice to hear from. Yeah, I heard he just came in from playing nine holes with uh, Shane Lowry. Yeah. So it was nice that he was able to... It was to, a pro-am. Yeah, nice that he was able to uh, jump on here and email the podcast. We, I say this every time, and it's really easy to criticize the announcers. They are a really uh, noticeable part of the broadcast. At this point, they're out there filling seven hours of broadcast time with their commentary. So like, it's easy to uh, to take shots at these guys, and normally I don't like to do it, but it seemed like there was a lot of criticism for Joe Rogan on social media over the weekend during UFC 240. Yeah. And this is kind of a known weakness, I think, in Joe Rogan's commentary. I talked about this a little bit in my MMA mailbag today on The Athletic, but you know, every commentator is going to have some flaws, even the really good ones. And I think Joe Rogan has been a good, like a net positive uh, yeah, for, for many, sure. many years for, for sure. the UFC. A long time he's been at it and has done some really good work. But I do think one of his flaws is he tends to sometimes seize on a narrative or an idea or like what he perceives as an observation early on. And then once he latches onto it, it's hard for him to let go and accept new information that might contradict yeah. that. Yeah. And I mean, that's a normal thing, I think. I think it's a normal thing for everybody. Whenever you say something that is kind of like an implied prediction, like, oh, does this person have the gas tank? I don't know. We've never seen it. Like, maybe they don't have the gas tank to go uh, the full distances. Maybe they're slowing down. There's probably a part of you after that, that whether you recognize it or not, that wants to be right. Like, that wants to see that come to fruition. So you could be like, aha, remember when I made that prediction, like, early on? When I said, like, I thought this was happening? Now we're all seeing it happen. And so I think like, maybe that's part of it. But, like, it does seem like, eh, you know, he'll latch on to that. Like, remember when, I think it was, like, Tyron Woodley used to always talk about, like, all oh, those big muscles, hard to fuel yeah, all those big yeah. muscles, man. Like, you need a lot of oxygen. You need a lot of oxygen to fuel those muscles. And I don't know if you can do it for, for a long fight. And then it would be like, I don't know, it seems like it can, though. Like, seems like we've seen it. Like, maybe we need to just let that one, that one go. Yeah, I would say that, like, it is a broad-based, valid criticism of many UFC broadcasts that a lot of times they seem to come into a fight either with a predetermined narrative or they establish a narrative really early on in the fight. And occasionally, they have a hard time getting outside that narrative. Like, in, you know, in direct... Uh, uh, in direct conflict with what they see happening in front of their eyes. And, yeah. and like, I think that can be a hard thing to do maybe when you're doing it live on television with Joe Rogan, who I agree with you, who has been a really good color commentator for the UFC. And at times in spots, like really, really shines, I think. Uh, but I think that one of his things, like you said, is coming in with like, there's a few, there's a few storylines or aspects of a, of the fight game that's always going to like crank his engine up. Yeah. Right. Low kicks. Eye pokes. Going to go. Going to go crazy for low kicks. Uh, if you cut a lot of weight, that's a thing he's going to talk about, which I think is what happened in this cyborg fight. Uh, and uh, like you said, takes a lot of oxygen to run those big muscles. It does. And those are those are some things that he returns to again and again. The cyborg fight which I know we will talk about in round number two, but it's a little bit weird. And of course you had all of the extenuating circumstances with 
uh, her kind of deteriorating relationship with the UFC leading up to this bout and what she's going to do after it since it's the last fight on her contract. But there was just a lot of stuff going on around this fight and during this fight that uh, seemed like it wanted to undermine her performance. And I don't necessarily think that that was part of like a concerted effort on anybody's part, but like, I think it just like happenstance conspired to like try to make uh, Chris Cyborg's three round 30, 27 times three beat down of Felicia Spencer seem somehow less impressive. Right. But I mean, that's always going to be kind of the situation you're in, even if you're not in a contentious contractual situation. Like when you go out there as a six to one favorite, it's hard for you to be impressive. Yeah. If you smash them immediately, maybe then people will be like, okay, that was even better than we were expecting. But that, 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 that situation to begin with lends itself to that. Also, though, the, this mentions the Max Holloway greatest featherweight champ ever comment. Yeah. Which, that one was noticeable because it was, it felt like, we were never talking about this before. You know, three or four weeks ago, even when people were super hot on Max Holloway, even people were like, Max Holloway is awesome. I love watching Max Holloway fight. Uh, he's poised to maybe be one of the greatest featherweights ever. Nobody was saying this. And then I'll suddenly let you have a pay-per-view to sell. Suddenly he's the consensus greatest featherweight of all time. And it's going, yeah. Consensus of who? When, do, when did we even have this conversation? I don't require us, I don't remember us reaching a consensus on this point. I mean, if you ask me, I'd say, Within a year, I would not be surprised if Max Holloway solidifies himself as the greatest featherweight champ in UFC history. I don't, it depends if you want to look at the numbers or you want to look at what you think of the quality of performances or the quality of opponents, whatever. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can argue that, but it just felt like this was not even a thing we were saying or talking about, whether it was true, until you needed it as a marketing point, essentially. Yeah. Uh, it, and again, it's like, that's a slippery argument. Like, how do you want to define who the greatest UFC featherweight champion was? Do you want to just talk about like sheer athleticism and technique and style and, uh, dominating fighting ability? Cause it, by that rationale, Max Holloway might be the greatest featherweight champion of all time. He's at the vanguard of like the athletic and, 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 uh, skill set, uh, of the sport. You know what I mean? Like he's more like maybe the best we've ever seen, but like, is that, do you want to have the argument about who has accomplished more in the featherweight division? Cause Jose Aldo has nine title defenses. If you count his WEC title reign when he was, you know, the consensus best featherweight on the planet. uh, Max Holloway has three. Frankie Edgar's his third title defense. So if we're talking about what you've done as the featherweight champion, Maybe slow your roll just a little bit. Well, I think those are the instances where you are reminded that the UFC is one of the few major sports where it's UFC employees that are the broadcast people. And whether you change platforms, you go from Fox, you go to ESPN, and it's the same broadcast people, and it's basically the same broadcast. And I think Joe Rogan has especially done a good job in recent years as he seems to give less of a fuck about making people happy, of speaking his mind and talking about some of those situations that maybe the UFC would rather we just didn't bring up on the broadcast. I think he's done a better and better job of that. But there are those instances where you're reminded, yeah, if this were completely separate, like if it was just like the somebody else decides who is on the mic and they owe nothing to the UFC, they don't have to keep the UFC happy. Maybe you'd get different stuff here. Yeah. Maybe you, maybe you wouldn't get a like. Okay, we need some way to pump up Max Holloway and make this thing seem more viable, and you wouldn't end up with stuff like that. Maybe yeah, I still think Rogan is, has done a 
a better job for the UFC. I think he's had you know more good nights than he's had bad nights. Yeah, Let's absolutely. just say that. And you're going to have a flat night every now and then when you're doing so many of these damn broadcasts over such a long period of time. Next question as we comes to us from Tracy Dickinson, who writes, since GSP and Rory have stopped fighting in the UFC, we Canadians haven't had a whole lot to root for. But after UFC 240, I'm hoping that Hakeem Duwadu is right and Canadian MMA is on the rise. Jillian Robertson looked incredible in her fight with a great finish. Gavin Tucker had an amazing comeback after two years. As a fellow Atlantic Canadian, I'm a huge fan of his, but maybe less so of his questionable melange of tattoos. There's a lot of tattoo stuff going on there. Shout out Tracy Dickinson for the use of the word melange in this week's co-main event podcast. And the use of the phrase Atlantic Canadian. I mean, we're... And we got to chop Canadians up into all these different categories now? Well, it's a big country. Man. It is a big country. It's like it would, or, would you consider yourself an like what Mountain West American? Yes. Well, you would. And it seems like he could be a force to be reckoned with. Dewater looked incredibly dominant and is striking in rounds two and three of his fight. And uh, the 30-27s across the board doesn't tell the whole story. I was unbelievably impressed with Felicia Spencer's performance and being able to hold her own against one of the most dangerous women in the world. Do I dare to dream that there's some people to root for again in the landscape of Canadian MMA? Or should I just calm myself down and go eat some poutine? Uh, well, you don't want to eat the poutine either way. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? You would want to It's delightful. Uh, but this is a good point, man. Like lots of, uh, lots of up-and-coming Canadians, I guess, on this particular fight card, especially in a landscape of the sport where it seems like the UFC not hasn't left Canada behind, but it doesn't seem like there's as much emphasis on Canada now as there used to be. We're, we're like two or three countries down the road now from yeah, when Canada a, was the... There's a lot of new Canadas that right, have popped yeah, up Brazil was the new Canada. Russia, I think, was Ireland, probably the new Canada. Ireland, maybe China. Maybe China now. Who knows? But yeah, it would be nice to... to I don't know that you're going to replace George St. Pierre. I don't think that's okay. a thing that can be done. But at the same time... Nice to have some some up and coming prospects for a, a a fight community that is pretty rabid up there north of the border. Could you replace him? Because I had the same thought, especially asking about George St. Pierre. That's a that's a big ask to somebody to step up and replace George St. Pierre. And as much as I was impressed with her performance, even in a loss, I don't think Felicia Spencer is right there ready to replace George St. Pierre. No, but can you replace him? Just across the board with enough... With a melange? With a melange of Canadian fighters. Maybe some Atlantic Canadians, maybe some Pacific Canadians, maybe some some middle ones. Some Canadians from up there in Edmonton? Sure. Go Blue Bombers, by the way. Uh, can you do it by just... We have enough different people. Because it's tough to get anybody to a GSP level just regardless of national origin at this point we've talked about. like It's really difficult to stand out, to capture people's attention, to make them remember you... Could you just do it by we, – we have enough interesting Canadian fighters that when we have a fight card in Edmonton and we put a whole bunch of them on the same fight card, the Canadian public goes, all right, there's enough here. There's nobody – there's no one bright shining star, but there's enough little stars that yeah. I can be into it. I don't know. I mean the whole thing is so personality driven that I feel like it really helps to have the one kind of bell cow in George St. Pierre, the one person who's going to bring a lot of eyeballs to the table. I don't know if you get the same uh, attention if you just have like a buffet of Canadian stars, but you could do a lot worse, like being able to put on a, a, a single fight card or a couple of fight cards where you have a, a, a an entire array of Canadian talent, I think is awesome. I think it's it's better than nothing. I don't think that you're going to get those big numbers like you got with George St. Pierre, unless there is a sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
like dominant figure, a person on the, who comes on the scene and is able to, to like bring together those Canadian fight band, fight fans who've been waiting for, to kind of jump back on board. But at the same time, yeah, man, uh, like it seems like we are kind of experiencing an uptick in, in Canadian prospects. And that's rad. That is rad. Next question this week comes to us from Taylor Loyal, who writes, This weekend, Jim Miller will fight Clay Guida. Combined, they have 97 fights. If you told me five years ago that they'd still be fighting, I would have assumed it would be a sad affair that would have been one of those deals where the loser retires. But they both already have wins in 2019, and I'm pretty psyched about this matchup. I'm a longtime fan of both of these guys. How much longer can they keep going? If you told me eight years ago that they'd be fighting, so I'd be surprised too. Also, I'm surprised they haven't fought already. Yeah, that's hard to hard to imagine, isn't it? Plus, this is the co-main of uh, Lawler versus Covington on ESPN, UFC on ESPN five. So, like, that's yeah, that ain't too shabby for Jim Miller and Clay Guida, two guys who have been around for a long time and, frankly, have been fan favorites for a really long time. Yeah, and it does seem like if you're asking about guys who have aged pretty well in terms of their style and what they're able to do. Like Clay Guida is still able to do the Clay Guida stuff. Yeah. He goes out there and looks like Clay Guida. He does. Like, like you saw him yesterday. Yeah. Not like three or four years ago. He shows up still looking like the Clay Guida that you know and love. And Jim Miller, I think especially he would tell you that after getting Lyme disease under control somewhat has been much better. And, you know, he got that quick win, uh, in uh, you know, in front of his kids, he had his kids come out and watch him fight in that last one in Florida, where he he submitted Jason Gonzalez really quickly, and he seemed like he was kind of eyeing the end. Like, what are what are some bucket list things you want to get done here before it's all over? And so to have him go out there and fight Clay Guida, I kind of like the matchmaking idea behind it. They're both right there. Neither one of them is really climbing the rankings. We're not. They might be talking title shot. Clay Guida is probably going to still talk about it till the day you put him in the ground, but. Nobody else is really thinking, how do you craft a, a path to the top of the division for these guys? So might as well take two old-timer guys who are both still pretty relevant, still pretty good, throw them in there together. Let's see what they got. Yeah. And for the most part, Clay Guida is still out here fighting guys. He fought Brian Ortega, obviously, back in 2016. He got knocked out kind of with that knee in the last 20 seconds of the fight. He fought Eric Koch, who came back, moved up to welterweight, and got a win at UFC 240. He fought uh, Joe Lazon. In 2017, he fought Charles Oliveira in 2018. And then, of course, he fought the ghost of BJ Penn in May of this year. So, like, everybody that uh, that Clay Guida is fighting is are, are guys that we've heard of, similar to, to Jim Miller, although not quite to the level. But both these guys, mid-30s, guys we know, guys we like, throw them on TV, they're probably going to have an exciting fight. As long as they can, t- can continue to look competitive and look like, uh, you know, reasonable facsimiles of themselves. I'm all for it. Can I tell you the, my favorite factoid from the Clay Guida Wikipedia page? Well, now I would be mad if you didn't. He is a two-time recipient of the Tequila Cazadora Spirit Award. Two times, Chad. I think I remember that. The, <laughs> yeah. uh, the Spirit Award. Yeah. They I don't still know. doing I that? Remember. I don't think so. I is don't that know the Modelo the, Spirit Award at this point? Something like that. But two times. They were like, he gave it to him once. And they're like, you know what? No. Clay Guida, you have earned another Tequila Cazadora Spirit Award, which... I don't even know yeah, when what, and why he won it, but I can't argue with it. What kind of spirit do you have to have to win a spirit award sponsored by a tequila brand? Uh, watch Clay Guida walk out to the okay, cage on Saturday, it. and I feel like your your questions will mostly be answered. You know what I noticed on at UFC 240 is that they've started putting ads 
like inside the the octagon border, like inside the cage, they have that like octagon shaped black double line border. Yeah. Putting ads inside that now. There was an ad for the boys on Netflix inside that little border. I mean, running out of room in there, running out of real estate to put ads. But in we there. need everybody to wear a Reebok to look clean and professional. That's right. Last question this week comes to us from French French mathematician Henri Poincaré. Poincaré. If you said it with more confidence, yeah, I might have, I might have been able to bluff my way through it. If we're going to have to watch BJ BJ Penn fight one more time, I feel like they should give him one of his classic opponents who has an equal bum status as BJ. Okay, bum status is that's not complimentary. Are you going to disagree with it? We're going to find somebody of equal bum status. Is what this email says. If that's the Henry case, point care does not pull any punches. No, a French mathematician is going to do it by that the and being a French mathematician. Those are two things he's known for. Uh, who would you like to see BJ fight? I'd personally like to see Penn versus Pulver, uh, the trilogy, happen. If there's any fight that's winnable at this point in Penn's career, it's got to be a Pulver rematch. Uh, who would you like to see BJ Penn fight? Is a loaded question, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm, I mean the the handle on his recliner. That's who I'd like to see BJ Penn fight. Yeah. That, that's where I want to see him stay. I thought we were done with this. Remember, it seemed like a couple months ago, we were done with BJ Penn. Now, all of a sudden, he's coming back to fight Nick Lentz, of all people. That's foolish of you to think that we were done. They told us we were done. <laughs> Come on. They used those BJ words. BJ Penn has told us we were done. Several times, in fact. We're never going to be done. Never. I, I don't even want to enter... I don't want to accept the premise of the question here. Who would you like to see him fight? Yes. I reject the framing. Yes, because I'm, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna participate in that grim version of fantasy matchmaking. No one. It's it's just it's a sad thing that we're doing, and the justifications for it are dumb and pointless. On that note, that's going to do it for listener mail. If you've got questions, comments, concerns that you want to send to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, well, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, Jerome, Max Holloway puts on a dominant performance in the main event of UFC 240 and defeats Frankie Edgar by lopsided unanimous decision. Got on the mic afterwards and said that one was for the doubters. Though, I don't know how many people were doubting Max Holloway yeah. leading into this fight. Especially I thought, this fight. you know, this would be a nice one for him to win, given that he had kind of a rough 2018 and then he came back, uh, beat Brian Ortega, but then lost in his... Uh, bid to move up to lightweight and fought Dustin Poirier for the interim title there. So like in the, in the, in the biz, if you want to go on with the business of being dominant featherweight champion, Max Holloway beating Frankie Edgar was a must win in this instance. But I don't know that anybody was looking at this fight and being like, Oh, I doubt Max Holloway here. I think yeah. we, we were all looking at this fight and being like, 
how does Frankie Edgar win this? It's hard right. to plot out a, a path to victory here. And Max was a sizable favorite coming into this. Yeah, one. at least three to one. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we've talked before about how fighters love to adopt that mentality that everybody is against me, no one believes I can do it. They're gonna want to be the underdog, even when they are definitely the overdog. I get that, and yet. The thing that seemed surprising to me about it, which I realized was a weird thing for me to even think afterwards, was I was like, man, why does Frankie Edgar seem so disappointed? He was never going to win this fight. He acquitted himself well. He should be pleased with that See, but that's like, I, yeah, I kind of had a similar reaction. But, like, you see Frankie Edgar at the press conference and you are reminded, like, all of these people think they're going to win. Yeah, like, he's heartbroken. Yes. He realizes that was probably going to be his last shot at a UFC title. Yeah, like the people who involved here, especially Frankie Edgar, who like, you know, we can maybe debate the legacy of Frankie Edgar during this round if we want to. But like, say what you want to about the guy, but he's like a consummate competitor. Yeah. He goes out there in every fight against every fighter, no matter what their size or what weight class he's in. And he's really, really good, even though I believe that he's 0-4, 0-5 in his last handful of UFC title shots. Uh, But Frankie Edgar thinks he's going to win every fight and he prepared to win this fight. And they strategized to win this fight. And in his visualizations, he probably won this fight. And he expected, regardless of the of the odds, to walk out of that cage with the 145-pound title. So, yeah, it's all, it is legitimately heartbreaking for Frankie Edgar. The rest of us, I think, look at it a little bit more cut-and-dried, analytical. We don't necessarily have a horse in this race kind of a thing. True. I was surprised. Well, for one thing... Frankie Edgar saying the final horn here, I think, is a little bit of a moral victory for him against Max Holloway. Especially, you know, Frankie nearing the end of his career, uh, giving up a you know, significant size advantage to Max Holloway, who is kind of entering the prime of his career as yeah. the featherweight champion. And like there was that moment where, I think it was in round three, late in round three, where Max Holloway kind of hurts him. Yes. And it looks like he realizes he has Frankie a little bit on the retreat. And he's like, okay, here's my opportunity. Let me go for it. And Frankie Edgar, who I believe had not successfully completed a takedown to that point, went for one knowing I kind of needed to halt his momentum and to stay in this fight, really, to, to keep him from finishing me off here. And he got it. Yeah. And he wasn't able to do a whole lot with it once he got there, but he got the takedown that kept him in the fight and was right when he needed it. And that was impressive, especially because he hadn't looked particularly close on earlier takedown attempts or even on later takedown attempts for the most part. And so it was like, okay, you're reminded that here is a savvy veteran, good fight IQ, can do a lot of stuff really well, had these moments where he could look quick. You know, coming forward, he could still surprise you with his speed a little bit. And yet you also realize Max Holloway does such a good job of doing two things like nearly simultaneously that are kind of at odds. Like he can stalk you. Like, just following you around everywhere you go, one foot in front of the other, just walking you down, landing that uppercut, and stand right on you so that you never get a second to breathe. You never get a second to set up your own offense. You're always dealing with what he's doing. Yeah. And then when you are, uh, like, coming forward and decide to yourself, all right, I'm going to go after him. I'm sick of being on the, the receiving end of this and waiting for him. I'm going to go get him. And then he's just not there anymore. He's just He circles right off, and just like a matador, he's, he, he lets you charge right into nothing. And it's really hard to do both those two things, to be both a guy who can stalk and plot after people, but also a guy who is elusive when you go to attack. And he does both those things so well. Like we said before, when you look at what each guy brings to the table, it just seemed like Max Holloway has Frankie Edgar surrounded. And he yeah. did. Yeah. 
and uh, Frankie Edgar obviously put on a game performance, the kind of performance that maybe we expected from him and did hang in there for five rounds, but he, it was never really close. I don't think like there were, there were some instances where, you know, Frankie got that takedown at the end of round three, like you talked about, which was a real, uh, maybe a fight saver and kind of like a uh, trademark Frankie Edgar moment, if you ask me. But at the same time, like Max Holloway did what he was supposed to do here. And that was look like the dominant 27 year old champion at a time when I thought he needed to look that way because, you know, prior to that Poirier loss, he had won, I think, 13 fights in a row. He hadn't lost in five years, dating back to uh, he actually lost two in a row in 2013, including that fight against Conor McGregor when they were both just sort of young bucks. Uh, but two things that I mentioned earlier in the round, in this round had happened to slow his momentum. One was that he only fought once in 2018, and he had a few fights fall through that year, and he had that weird happening in, I believe it was July, where he got he was supposed to fight Ortega, but he got pulled out. Poisoned. And they said, first, concussion likes his symptoms, and then Dana White came to a press conference and said water poisoning, like he had drank too much water. And then Max Holloway had an interview where he, he implied that there was an ongoing investigation. I hired a private detective. In, into food poisoning. So, like, there was some weird stuff going on there with Max Holloway. Uh, and then he came back and he beat Brian Ortega at UFC 231 and looked like Brian Ortega, and we were all very happy. And then he moved up in weight at UFC 236 and lost to Dustin Poirier in a fight where Holloway put on, like, a valiant performance, but, like, kind of... Struggled with the power of Dustin Poirier. Yeah, because there were you could see that, especially like in parallels with this fight, because there were moments where Max Holloway was like, "Okay, here I come, here I come," and then he would get hit with something. And when Dustin Poirier hits you with it, it's the kind of thing that make you go, oh, "Okay, I'm, we're going to hit pause on that whole offensive assault." And Frankie Edgar would land a punch, and Max Holloway would just kind of go, "Okay, you got me. I'm still coming though." Yeah. And so if there were any questions for Max Holloway to answer here, I, I just feel like UFC 240 was a fight where we really just wanted to see him look like Max Holloway from start to finish. And he did. And he won this fight pretty easily against Frankie Edgar. And so it, it sets up maybe that fight uh, with Alexander Volkanovsky after this. And if there is any question about Max Holloway, it's that he started his professional MMA career when he was so young. He's had 25 fights now. He had that summer of 2018 where he had some some kind of inexplicable health issues. And so even though he's only 27 and we all have him slated for this, for glory, slated to become a legend in this sport, this was a good one for him to look really good in, I yeah. thought. And now he, he's done that. And so I'll be interested to see him moving forward, you know, with his title and, and we'll see what he can do. Well, and now the question is like, we all are going to be eyeing the Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky fight. Yeah. And he, I think... Took a pretty good approach afterwards when asked about, like, when you're going to do this. And he was like, I need to get, I believe his words were, medical testing. Because he has fought three times in the last, like, seven months. I think it's a combined total, like, 14 rounds. You know, there were two five-rounders in there. One that ended at the end of the fourth round. Plus all the training camps. To turn around and go right back into camp and get ready for Alexander Volkanovsky. And I've already heard some talk like, oh, hey, could you get him ready in time for that card in Melbourne? That's at the beginning of October. That would be, I believe, what, like nine weeks away, nine or ten weeks away. If I'm Max Holloway, I might want to take a little bit of a break before turning around and fighting Alexander Volkanovsky. Because that's a serious dude. And if you're starting to feel like you're a little worn down from all the training camps and all these long, grueling fights, especially that Dustin Poirier fight, man, that was a, that was a tough fight. Yeah, You want to be fresh and ready going into a fight with Alexander Volkanovsky. Because this one felt like, okay... 
We're kind of taking a break from the normal business of the featherweight division. Frank Yeager was not really on anybody's mind as a top contender, but eh, he's a good guy. The UFC felt like they owed him one. Nobody gets too upset about seeing Frank Yeager in a title fight. You know he's going to give you a show. So fine, go ahead and do this one. But now you're going to get back to business and the top contender and a guy who is also in his prime and ready to come at you and hungry as all hell. You want to be really ready for that. And if I'm Max Holloway... I'm not doing that just to accommodate the UFC's calendar if I don't feel like I'm absolutely 100%. Yeah, especially ready. with Alexander Volkanovsky. He's going to come, he's a young guy who's at the top of his game and is a dangerous fighter. And yet the optics are going to make it look like he's another version of Frankie Edgar because he's going to come in looking a lot smaller than Max Holloway. We're going to see these two guys together and we're going to be like, oh, Max Holloway should run through this guy the same way he maybe ran through Frankie Edgar. And so, like, that's kind of like a tricky, almost like no-win situation for Max Holloway to be in. Like, he needs to go out and beat Alexander Volkanovsky and look really good doing it. Or we're all going to look at that fight and be like, hmm, disappointing performance by Max Holloway. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. I would like to see him uh, be at his best for when that fight is going to go down. Now, what about Frankie Edgar? What about the old man here? What do you, where does he go from here? I mean, Frankie Edgar is one of these guys who at 37 years old... And he's like three and three in his last six, but he's, you know, he's three and two in his last five. It depends on when you want to split it up. Like, he's still really, really good. He's really, really good at fighting. And he didn't necessarily look unlike Frankie Edgar in this fight. He just looked like he wasn't as good as Max Holloway at this stage in his career. He, I feel like he's a guy who doesn't really have anything to prove. And he's a guy who should and could do whatever he wants. So, like... If he is still really, really hot after another UFC title, maybe you think about 135. But if that seems like a lot of, you know, terrible work, if you're Frankie Edgar and you aren't crazy about losing the weight and fighting at that lower weight class, like, just just do whatever you want, man. If Fun you, fights at featherweight? Well, well, like, whatever Frankie Edgar will feel the most fulfilled by. Like, I, I have no wants or desires for Frankie Edgar at this point. It's just like, I feel like he has earned enough of our respect, enough of our uh, good feelings that he should just, you know, do be Frankie Edgar. Yeah. Do you, Frankie Edgar. Seeing him feel so heartbroken after this fight, which, again, being reminded, oh, yeah, he expected to win this. He didn't feel the way we felt about it, which is that you're probably not going to win, but, hey, you, you put on a good performance and you could feel good about that. Made me wonder if, if that kind of competitor could be more easily talked into Hey, you go down to bantamweight, maybe one win one or two. Next thing you know, you're in the title picture. You're a known name. You know, Henry Cejudo's down there. He wants to fight some known names. Yeah. Who, who knows what happens? And I could see how you might get talked into it. And yet I also wonder, you go down there, and do you lose the speed advantage that you have over some of the featherweights right now? And do you even necessarily gain much of a size advantage? You know, you look at Frank Edgar's, what, like 5'6? You know, somebody like Cody Garbrandt's like 5'8. Like, it's not like you're just towering over these people if you go down there, and it's not like you're ragdolling them with just pure strength. You'd probably be more or less on an equal footing size wise with a lot of the bantamweights down there. And yet, yeah. I mean, honestly, what it made me think is if Frank Edgar could have been a bantamweight 10 years ago, like in the UFC, if that had been an option, then maybe, maybe he's a great bantamweight. Also, maybe he kills himself with a weight cut. Yeah. But, I don't know. I could see how you get talked into it, maybe, if you're Frankie Edgar at this point. Because, shit, can you imagine you go down to bantamweight and win another UFC title, like, in your late 30s? 
You'd be riding off on the shoulders of cheerleaders, man. Yeah, you would. But I just, I don't know. Well, and we talk a lot on the show about how weight class jumping and camp switching, like it really, really seldom is a cure-all. Very seldom do we see somebody change weight classes or change their training, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, everything is fixed. Yeah. Like all the problems of before have vanished. Usually it just masks it for a little bit. That said, like if that is a thing that Frankie Edgar wants to do and he feels comfortable about making 135 pounds, well, hell yeah, I'm interested to see how he would do down there. I don't want him to do it begrudgingly or like he he is like feels compelled to do it because he has this overwhelming unshakable desire to try to be the champion again. I don't want him to do it uh, if he feels like he's compromised athletically, but if he feels good about it and it's a green light and all systems go like, yes, I will watch Frankie Edgar fight at 135 pounds. Yeah. Just, I mentioned it on Twitter, but I remember being at a press conference a few years ago. You were at that one, weren't you? I remember his, his response. uh, I think he's been asked about it. Well, if you're Frankie Edgar, you probably fucking get asked about cutting weight your entire career. Yeah. I think he was a lightweight. Because you started at lightweight and people immediately were like, I haven't thought about featherweight. And then he moved down to featherweight. And now people are like, have you thought about bandomweight? Yeah. If you're Frankie Edgar, and especially if you're 37 years old, you got to just be like, do you have any notion of how not fun that would be? Yeah. He looked like he was going to cry or like he was, Maybe going to come over there and punch in the throat whoever said it. Yeah. It's hard to blame him. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, we may have talked about this once before on the podcast, but this week it seemed official that one of the bare knuckle boxing purveyors has offered Alexander Emelianenko a contract. Yeah. Convicted of sexual assault, Mm -hmm. rumored to have a terrible bloodborne disease, that may or may not have sidelined in North American fight once before. Are you fucking kidding me? I think we have we've reached the limit of all press is good press, right? Yeah. Once you're bringing Alexander Millianenko over, do you think it's our fault that we let you come out of this really weird and at times borderline disgusting feud between Artem Lobov and Pauli Malignaggi? I'm sorry, Paul Malignaggi. Paul, the magic man. And. We let you come out of that still feeling pretty good about you. Like, we didn't be like, okay, you've crossed a line, and this guy, it got weird and uncomfortable, and we don't like it anymore. We let you come out of that still feeling pretty good, still feeling like we'll we'll watch the product you put out. And then you were like, okay, how about this? Alexander Emelianenko. And now we were like, okay. Like, no, like you we, just lost us. We bear some responsibility for, like, not being... We sent the message that maybe there's no... Way to be too disgusting. Like we, bare we should have been promotion. stricter. Yes, with bare knuckle FC. Yeah. Maybe, man. I don't know. And now we're here. You fucking kidding me, fucking kidding Alexander Emelianenko? Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? We mentioned before how Dana White confirmed that the UFC is going to give BJ Penn one more fight, just one more. Yeah, just, just one more, just man. One more cigarette, and this one under the just condition drink. that win or lose, he will retire. This will be the last one he's going to fight. Uh, Nick Lentz, this is really going to be it this time. And Dana White, his reasoning when he was pushed on it at the press conference was basically uh, BJ Penn kept harassing me over text and giving me all these reasons why he needs to fight again. And so finally he just won, he convinced me, he won me over. And then my guy, Mike Bone, bad to the bone, bad to the bone, points out that BJ Penn has taken some ridiculous number of head strikes. Like more head strikes than anybody in the history of the UFC, maybe. Like 1,400 or something head strikes. Not to mention, already showing some troubling signs about, of his behavior outside the cage. We just saw a video of him in a fight with a bar bouncer, like in Honolulu or something outside <laughs> yeah. of a damn strip club. And being like, okay, are you really 
like people are a little bit concerned about what's going on with this guy and that maybe repeated head trauma is not what he needs in his life right now. Dana White's response to that, quote, If all you people that are concerned are doctors, then give me a call. If not, then mind your business. Are you fucking kidding me? Just, for one thing, right now, there is somebody getting ready to make a documentary about the whatever ends up becoming of BJ Penn, and they just bookmarked this one. You, you just gift-wrapped this one. They're like, okay, that one's going in there right after the clip of him fighting the bouncer. Also, you said this to a bunch of media gathered. Mind your business. This is literally their business covering this sport. Whether you should be doing this fight, that is their business by any meaning of the word. This is the business that they are engaged in. They are minding it by asking you this question. Are you fucking kidding me? I hope we get some calls from some doctors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think that'll change his mind? Well, yeah. He said, if you're a doctor, give me a call. So and the doctors, any doctors like, out there. You know what? I don't, I don't think it's a good idea for BJ Penn to be hit in the head repeatedly. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Well, Jen, your homie Chris Cyborg now finds herself at a bit of a career impasse. She's 34 somehow, even though it feels like she's been in the game forever. Yeah. She has come to the end of her current UFC contract. It seems like maybe some elements of UFC executive leadership are not that crazy about having Chris Cyborg around, except maybe, perhaps, as a means to an end. She's been in this back and forth all week before this fight with Felicia Spencer at UFC 240 with Dana White, who kept claiming that she just doesn't want to fight Amanda Nunes. She doesn't, no matter what, she's just too terrified. Won't ever even get in the cage with Amanda Nunes. Just trembling with fear, certainly. Won't do it. And Chris Cyborg, honestly, really handled herself well throughout that entire thing. Laughed it off during fight week. Just calmly told everyone that Dana White was lying. Went in there against Felicia Spencer. Got cut open early on. And still, you know, put a pretty solid beat down on Felicia Spencer. Honestly, the credit goes to Felicia Spencer in this fight, I think. She made it look closer than it really was by just being tough as shit. Yeah. And being better on the feet than we thought that she was. And just, like... She would Better get, at taking a beating. Well, she would get hit with some of these shots. We've seen Chris Cyborg hit with hit people with those kind of shots before, and you can see on their faces. I remember watching her in Invicta once, and I was like at the event, like at one of those at like the Cosmopolitan in Vegas, and she hit somebody. I can't remember who it was uh, with like a you know body head combo early on in the fight, and you could see that person change their entire mind yeah. about what they had chosen to do with their life. Just like. Okay, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. That's the kind of power she has. And Felicia Spencer really no-sold it throughout the entire thing. Like, she did. like she was just not bothered by it at all. Yeah. But a dominant performance by Chris Seibel. Yeah, I do think you have to give Felicia Spencer some credit uh, f- yeah, for being durable, for taking those shots from Chris Cyborg and not really, as you said, like selling them in any way. But at the same time, like the extent to which people lost their minds on social media about Felicia Spencer, I think says more about Chris Cyborg right. than it does about Felicia Spencer. Because what we are saying is like, wow, you really made it look easy taking that three-round beating. Like, you didn't get stopped. Yes. You got you took Chris Cyborg's best punches, and you hung on there uh, to the 30-27 unanimous decision loss. And yeah, man, I want to see Felicia Spencer fight again. Like, one of the things, we don't know that much about her. So, like, 
definitely want to see what she has to offer moving forward, but like, let's not go crazy here. Right. Let's not turn this into the Felicia Spencer show. Right. But now you have Cyborg comes out of that fight. She got a win to end her UFC contract on. And it seems like there's probably more at play here than just who is going to dollars and cents come up with the best offer for Cyborg. Because some of the stuff she said in the post-fight press conference, I don't know if you listened to it, but she talked about basically uh, her daughter, I believe, being bullied in school. Like, Like, I think her words were, you know, kids, they say these things to her like, your mom has penis. And you're like, man... And she's like, I, I gotta tell her, like, you can't fight in school over this. Like, I can, I can deal with it. I can take it. You have to learn to deal with this stuff too, which is hard. Like, it's hard already to tell a kid how to, you know, handle themselves in school and with peers at that age. Imagine yeah. if you had to, that on top of it. Yeah. That is tough stuff. Yeah. And one of the people who has been historically not a big fan of Chris Cyborg is Dana White. He's the yeah. guy who called her Vanderlei Silva in a dress. He's the guy all week who was like unpromoting her by talking about her not willing to, to face Amanda Nunes. And obviously that's the fight you would make if you reach a new deal with Chris Cyborg in the UFC. And she seems to want that fight. She's walking around in a damn t-shirt that yeah. was promoting the rematch, the unsigned rematch. Yeah, I thought it was evocative of how Dana White handles every aspect of his life. That he would still came to the post-fight press conference of this event where all week Chris Cyborg has said, yes, I want to fight Amanda Nunes. I wore a shirt that says I want to fight Amanda Nunes. They asked me what I wanted to do next and I said, fight Amanda. And he still comes to the post-fight press conference and is like, she doesn't want to fight her. That's a fact, he said over and over again. Like that's just like a a, a slice of a, uh, of how he handles everything. Like this is what I'm gonna. This is my my point. This is maybe what I believe. Who knows? And I'm just gonna say it and say it, regardless of any evidence. Right? Because we all know that if you actually do want to fight someone, you will agree to do it for any money. For any amount of any any contract that's on. I mean, that's to you. really what he's saying. Yes, right? is that, that like is. they like, can't he, agree on a dollar figure. So in his mind, and maybe he is being honest about this. Maybe in Dana White's own psyche, if you won't take the money that he offers you, maybe he's like, "Well, that's an incredible deal. If you won't take it, it must mean that you don't want the fight." Right. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know if that's what he thinks, like consciously or not. And so, if you're Chris Cyborg, you might be sitting around going right now, like, "Hey, I remember when I used to work with Scott Coker." Nice guy, Scotty Coax. Yeah. He even had nice things to say about me after, you know, when I'm working for a competitor. Scotty Coax. Classic like, Scotty Coax tweet, by the way. Classic. Maybe I could have a good time going over there if the dollar amounts are even, like, roughly similar. Maybe I'd even take a slight pay cut, a very slight pay cut, just to not have to deal with this bullshit anymore. It did seem like she was overjoyed to have that contract done. Did it not, like... She's calmly walking away from the explosion at the end of the movie <laughs> after beating uh, Felicia Spencer. Just sort of like she couldn't wait to get out of that house and burn it down behind her. So maybe she'll re-sign with the UFC. Like maybe they'll that they'll make it worth her while. But at the same time, like Chris Cyborg is in a good position here, man. Like she could go to Ryzen. She could go to the PFL. She could go to Bellator. She could get some kind of weirdo deal with Scotty Cokes and Bellator where she can fight at Ryzen every New Year's Eve. Yeah. Yeah. You could do that. So uh, I understand she has, what, a three-month exclusive negotiating period right. now with the UFC after her contract expired. So we'll just have to see what happens. Maybe they'll pony up. Maybe they'll give her the money. But like you said, like at this stage in her career, 
Again, kind of like Frankie Edgar, I want Chris Cyborg to do whatever makes her feel best. And if that's getting the money from the UFC and fighting Amanda Nunes again, great. If she feels like she will be happier as a human being going elsewhere, then she should absolutely go elsewhere. Especially since, like we talked about, I think on Wednesday, I would be super excited to see Chris Cyborg come to Bellator and fight for the women's featherweight title over there. I would be super excited to see Chris Cyborg go to PFL and maybe be in the next women's lightweight tournament with Kayla Harrison and not have to cut as much weight. Any of those seem to me as a fan, just selfishly, like better, frankly, than watching her fight Amanda Nunes again. Is if you could choose, like let's say the the happiness quotient is like going to be worked out, she'll be happy and well paid everywhere she goes. Do you want to see her come back to the UFC and rematch Amanda Nunes, or do you want to see fresh stuff? I want to see her leave. I want to see fresh stuff. And frankly, like this is this is going to surprise me when I say it, but the PFL seems like as a fan the most interesting thing. Just because of Kayla Harrison, have her fight Kayla Harrison, have her fight Sarah Kaufman. If you still have Sarah Kaufman in the next tournament, like. You throw some other... Uh, I like Sarah Kaufman too much to, to to suggest that. Sure. Yeah. No, I understand. She's a 135-pounder. Yeah. Really. But at the same time, like, give me Kayla Harrison and give me some other people in that tournament that I have maybe heard of or seem interesting, and I will watch Chris Cyborg fight over there. And like in Bellator, like I said, the Julia Budd fight is super interesting, but at the same time, let's say she beats Julia Budd, then it's sort of like, okay, well, now we're back in sort of a strike force type situation where yeah. it's going to be Jan Finney and, you know, whoever else. Man, if you're Jan Finney and you see Scott Coker's number pop up on the caller ID for the first time in like 12 years, let that go to voicemail. That's right. <laughs> let it go. Okay, here though is my devil's advocate question. 34-year-old Chris Cyborg. We just saw her lose to Amanda Nunez at UFC 232 and now she fights Felicia Spencer and goes the distance Felicia Spencer, a credit to her toughness, just does not seem all that phased by the, uh, the the onslaught of Chris Cyborg. Is there a difference between the 34-year-old Chris Cyborg and maybe like, you know, the 29-year-old Chris Cyborg that we saw just destroying people in Invicta and even before that in Strike Force? Yeah, Is maybe. there a possibility that she has slowed down some minor degree? Yeah, I think that that possibility definitely exists or that she's just maybe doesn't have the exact same ferocity. Although, I think if you were to tell me that Chris Cyborg could lose a little bit of the ferocity and in close fights have it make her a better fighter, I could kind of believe that a little bit. Because I think the thing that was her undoing in that Amanda Nunes fight was she got clipped and was like, oh, God damn it, no. No, yes. I'm the one who does that to you. Right. Here I come. And then just charges right into more trouble. If she had had a little bit of that in her to be like, okay, let's uh, let's buy you a second to clear your head. Let's maybe clinch up. And let's think about what our practical next steps might be. Right. They she, were still talking to her about that in between rounds during this Spencer you fight. You could see it early on when yeah. she got caught with that elbow. She got cut open and you could see like, there it is. Like you, you hit the button on Chris Cyborg's face. That's going to make her come after you. And, Maybe she could do with a little bit less of that and be a better overall fighter. And yet, maybe less exciting of a buzzsaw finisher. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three.
been the booking of Robert Glenn Lawler against Colby Covington as the main event of UFC on ESPN5 seems almost like a tease. Like, makes me feel like UFC matchmakers know exactly what everyone wants to see happen to Colby Covington. And they are either going to give that to us, or they are going to make us feel very sad when Colby Covington wrestles a five-round decision victory out of beloved legend Robbie Lawler. Sad or angry? Well, a combination of both. Yeah. Yeah, they are dangling in front of us the possibility of Colby Covington getting a movie-quality comeuppance against slugger, knockout artist, and just beloved savage Robbie Lawler. All-around terrifying human being. With... The caveat that there is a slightly more likely possibility that Colby Covington is going to deny us what we want in two ways. Either like that both we won't get to see Robbie Lawler knock him cold, and also if he gets to have it his way, it probably won't be that exciting of a fight. Right. So like Colby Covington will enrage fans on two fronts if all goes according to his plan. Though then that that rage, the fire of that rage might rocket him into the title shot that it seems like he has kind of been promised forever now. Yeah, I guess that's possible. He will ride the red-hot train of our rage straight to the top of the charts. Yes, yeah. I mean, that'd be a hell of a thing. That's been what he's trying to do for, you know, last couple years, right? Yeah, I guess so. That was the blueprint, is let me do all these things to make all you dweebs mad, and you'll be so mad that you will help propel me forward. And it always seemed like a very obvious calculation that he had performed. It obvious, always seemed like a decision he had made and then he was going to try to do that like based on watching what else had worked for other people. And yet, this seems like a fight where if you get to do it, if you don't get slept, which is always the threat against Robbie Lawler, it could actually work. If you go out there and we're just booing you mercilessly by the, you know... 12th takedown you get in round five, and we know, okay, that's it. Everybody's just so mad at Colby Covington. He ruined this main event, and then he's going to get on the mic and act like he just won a, you know, hit a home run in game seven of the World Series. People are going to be like, fuck this guy. All right, fine. You gave him somebody who couldn't stop the takedown. We bought it because we were so excited about the possibility of him getting his head knocked off. Now give us somebody who does the same Colby Covington thing, but better. And who's that? It's your guy, Kamaru Usman. Yeah. Robbie Lawler just one and three in his last four. That win is over Donald Cerrone at UFC 214 back in July of 2017. His losses are to Tyron Woodley, where he lost the UFC welterweight championship. Rafael Dos Anjos and Ben Askren, obviously, in the... Uh, Disputed finish with the bulldog choke at UFC 235. He's as old as Frankie Edgar, 37 years old for uh, for Robbie Lawler. He we don't call him the old man. I think we mostly because we're scared of him. Yeah, but uh, he hasn't necessarily been at the top of his game recently. Although I think you could argue that uh, he'll be maybe the well, yeah. Let's just say the most dangerous striker that Colby Covington has fought, especially during this recent run of uh, six straight wins that he's got dating back to 2016. Do you have the odds on this? What are, what are we thinking happens here between Colby Covington yeah, I got and, the odds. and Robbie Lawler? First, I want you to guess. I think Colby Covington is a slight favorite. Like at what? What would you say? Minus 125. 
Looking at more like minus 225. Really? Two to one uh, favorite? Yeah. Interesting. You could get Robbie Lawler as high as plus 195 if you had 20 bucks you never wanted to see again. Yeah, I guess. I guess I would throw that down if I had a really expendable $20. I mean, five-round fight, that's five chances to start on your feet. That's true. That's true. And yet, I wonder about Robbie Lawler now that he has made this exit from American Top Team. Because And obviously, Colby Covington is going to try to use this because he's going to try to use anything to work up a feud. Like, oh, Robbie Lawler, he came in there and ATT saved him and resurrected his career. And then he was ungrateful and turned around and left. And now I'm, I'm fighting for the honor of ATT. Which, if you're some of the coaches and other people at ATT, you're probably like, hey, don't don't help us out, man. Like, <laughs> you don't need to keep reminding people that you train here. We're good. Yeah. We, we, we feel like we're doing okay. And you know what? We, we're amicable with Robbie. Don't worry about it, man. But he, he's trying to use that. And yet, it did seem like... Because I remember going down to ATT when Robbie Lawler had like just won the championship. And, and I was talking to them about how that kind of situation came together. And they openly admitted, like, hey, we benefited from some other gyms kind of in the area shutting down or declining. Like they were saying, like Matt Hughes's place... Uh, that he had like what in like St. Louis or something. He had a gym that where Robbie Lawler was training out of, and he just as he he got out the game, his interest in running that gym kind of waned, and some of those guys had to go somewhere else. And then some of the Militich guys, you know, that were all like up in Iowa, when that was stopped being a thing, they had to go somewhere else. And so ATT kind of admitted that they had been a place where. We said to these guys, hey, you've heard of us. You know some of our guys. Why don't you, you're looking for a place to train. Why don't you come on down here? And by the way, if you do come down here, we can be a one-stop shop for you, training and management. And you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And they had kind of benefited from a lot of those guys being homeless in terms of gyms and looking for a place. But they are also a really good gym, in part because you managed to attract so many good guys at the same time. And Robbie Lawler had a renaissance there and then took off. And he has been to a lot of different gyms, kind of well-traveled as far as, like, where he trains. Now, do you think that he goes in there and just thinks, like, well, all right, I know how to do this. I don't need to reinvent the wheel every time I'm out there training. I get in good shape. I get my weight down. I, I drill my wrestling. I get my timing. And then I go in there and I look to stop the double leg and knock this guy's head in the second yeah. row. Yeah. Robbie Lawler probably knows who he is as well as the rest of us do and knows what he is capable of doing and what he wants to do. I would say... Colby Covington is not going to draw Robbie Lawler's ire in the way that he wants. Like one thing we know for sure here is that Robbie Lawler is not going to like get in a fiery pre-fight blood feud with Colby Covington. He's just going to sit there and quietly be terrifying and talk about how he's going to, you know, eat his soul or whatever he said. But I don't think Colby Covington is trying to do that for the benefit of Robbie Lawler. No, I don't think he's, he's... trying to sell the fight and right. Robbie Lawler is probably not going to take that bait. Well, right. But I don't think his, Strategy is, all right, step one, make Robbie Lawler really mad. And then he'll get so mad that he'll want to hurt me. Man, he'll want to hurt you super badly, even if he is completely indifferent to you, which he probably will be. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that doesn't matter. I think Colby Covington knows that. I think that, that that part of it is just meant because, hey, I have this shtick I do for the fans. And as a promotional tool, when I'm wearing the MAGA hat... When I'm, when I'm not just down there in my tap-out shirt or whatever it is and my cargo shorts. When I'm wearing the MAGA hat, I'm in character. That's what the character does. I don't think that it's a, a strategy to work on Robbie Lawler. I think, like, 
he he also knows who he is. Yeah. And at least in terms of the fighting aspect of it. Going you're gonna go in there and you're gonna just like try to not get killed by Robbie Lawler early on, and you're gonna try to take him down and wear him out. You think he can do that? Yeah, probably. Uh Though I think it's going to be dicey there for a while, and Robbie Lawler may be dangerous through this whole fight. We don't know. It depends on, uh, you know, the condition that he comes in and and how hard Colby Covington is able to push the pace and and make him work. Uh, but that's the fun in this, right? It's like we get to see Robbie Lawler try to do his stuff, and while Colby Covington is going to try to do the exact opposite thing. So uh, that's why we're going to watch this. Otherwise, aside from Jim Miller, Clay Guida. Colby Covington, Robbie Lawler. This is another one of those UFC cards where it looks like, I mean, there's probably going to be some bangers on here. But if you put me at gunpoint and asked me to tell you who some of these people were, I would be hard-pressed. Trevin Giles? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Kennedy's I don't know Trevin Giles from Hannah you? Goldie. Let's just let's just put it that way. Darko Stosik. Yeah, my favorite. Darko. Got a big Darko poster. In my That's actually kind of an awesome name. Yeah. Darko Stosik sounds like a comic book character. Um, the thing I think, like you're right, that as far as like overall firepower, this one on ESPN feels like a kind of a midsummer. Like a, there's a, there's a fight on. If you want to see it, you'll figure it out. We're not too worried about it. We're going to save the good stuff for like fall and other better times of the year to try to get people at home watching TV. But you know, we got, we got some stuff on it. No big deal. Um, the thing that I think makes this a tougher fight, though, for Colby Covington to fight Robbie Lawler for five rounds in a, in a main event here, a lot of these knockout artists, like especially the big guys like Francis Ngannou and people like that, you tell yourself, I just got to get through the first couple minutes. If I can do that. Man, fifth round Robbie Lawler is terrifying. Yeah. Yes, he is. So that, I think, is an added wrinkle that you got to deal with here. Especially, like, if you were fighting him in a three-round mid-card uh, pay-per-view fight, uh, maybe you just take him down a few times, you hold him there, and everything is okay. you got to go five rounds with Robbie Lawler. Pack a lunch. Yeah, and uh, Colby Covington hasn't finished anyone since August of 2016. He TKO'd Max Griffin in the third round. So okay. not necessarily like a, a, a fearsome finisher. Is Colby Covington. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for week this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff? Well, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Gavin Tucker came out. He mentioned earlier as one of the Canadians with the, the melange of tattoos. Yep. Uh, he came back after like two years away. Got his whole shit broke. Whole shit broke in that fight that just went on and on and on. Came back in the same building and went out there, uh, won a late submission victory. Afterwards... I think, I don't know, it was Conor McGregor tweeted something about, like, the officiating or, like, something about Gavin Tucker's response to the officiating or something. And somebody was asking him about it in a backstage interview I saw where they were like, oh, Conor McGregor tweeted this thing about you. And Gavin Tucker's response was, aren't you guys tired of these tweets, man? Aren't you guys tired of, like, talking all the time about whatever Conor McGregor has tweeted most recently? To which I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, no, super tired of it, man. Thank you for putting that right in somebody's face. And forcing them to answer that question because we all need to get a kind of a grip of ourselves here. It's one thing for a while there. It was like, man, Conor McGregor, super online. Can't stop that tweeting. Uh, and now it's gotten to a point where it's been going on long enough that it's on us. It's on us for continuing to cover it as headline news every time this guy tweets something. We, we need to be the ones to be like, okay, we've had enough. We will let your tweets 
just stay tweets and not become actual stories. Yeah. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, there's a new movie coming out. Okay. It's called... <laughs> I assume that happens often, but yeah, okay. It's a period piece, World War II drama called D-Day. I'm trying to find the exact release date here, but I don't see it. Oh, September 13th. It's going to come out. Okay. Two top-line stars in this movie. Chuck Liddell, the Iceman. Huh. And the natural Randy Couture. Old friends. Yeah, starring opposite each other. Chuck Liddell plays Which a, one plays a Nazi? They are both on the, the winning team okay. here. Uh, it looks like Chuck Liddell plays a part called General Bradley. He's a general? Chuck Liddell is a general in the United States Army. Randy Couture playing a, a uh, part titled Major Lytle. Chris Lytle? Chris Lytle's grandfather. I don't have a first name here, but he could be Chris Lytle's grandfather. We watched the trailer. You and I watched the trailer for this thing uh-huh. before we recorded. Yeah, yeah. It included Randy Couture screaming, it's a suicide mission. Chuck Liddell giving like kind of a stilted delivery of whatever his line was. I'm just saying, I saw the movie poster for this on Twitter a couple days ago. I just assumed it was a Photoshop. I was somebody like, was oh, just having some fun. Yeah, I was like, oh, somebody hey, what put... If, what if? Somebody, what if we lived in a world yeah. where somebody made a D-Day movie starring Chuck Liddell and somebody Randy Couture? Somebody put Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell's faces on this World War II movie poster that I've never heard of. That's funny. Nope. Turns out it's real. It is 100% real. What do you think Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell would say, Ben, if we got in a time machine and went back to 2003 and we were like, you guys, in 2019, you guys are going to be starring together in a World War II drama called D-Day. I think they'd be like, awesome. Yeah. They Best case would, scenario. They probably would high five. I'm just saying, man. Does Chuck Liddell play General Omar Bradley? Maybe, yeah. General Bradley is how he's, he's credited here. That, first of all, when you tell me Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture are in a movie, I assume that they're in the background. Maybe they get one or two lines. No, they're the only two guys pictured on the poster. Also, why? And seriously, it looks photoshopped. Look at this. Doesn't that look like somebody just photoshopped their faces it on does, there? It does. Also, who thinks like, you know what we really need as far as movies? Uh, a movie about D-Day. Yeah, that's, that hasn't been done, has it? Because has that person seen Saving Private Ryan? Mm. It was done pretty well yeah. at the beginning of that movie. That one I got don't, some publicity. Yeah. I think that one made the rounds a little bit. Also, based on what I saw in the trailer, I think that one had a little better budget situation. A lot of CGI explosions in that trailer. In the D-Day trailer, yeah. I guess, man. I'm just saying. Thought it was a Photoshop. I was like, that's a clever Photoshop. Okay, Turns what if, out it's real. Could we Photoshop the entire movie to make it a different movie? <laughs> Are you saying... What if? Someone is going to come out of this saying we should Photoshop these guys out of this movie? No. What if we keep them in, we keep the, most of the movie the same, we Photoshop basically like uniforms and stuff like that, and it becomes a movie about uh, a, a war between alien civilizations. I don't know if that's going to save this thing, man. I think it's worth a shot. Maybe. Maybe. We go back, we edit it, we re-release it. Happens all the time. All the time. All right. Yeah. You and, and I personally do this in our spare time. That is going to do it. For this week's Coming Event Podcast, we'll be back next week to tell you about all the stuff that happens at Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. And then I guess we will look ahead to Valentina Shevchenko versus Liz Carmouche from down there in Uruguay. Sure. Okay. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. 
When do you think we should start our road trip down there? We better get on that. Yeah. We're going to drive all the way. Because uh-huh. we don't want to miss uh, Enrique Barzola versus Bobby Moffat. That's no. The You're going to want to be there and in person for that. We're going to want to be in our seats before Alex De Silva versus TBD. Yes, absolutely. They know this thing's in like a week and a half, right? Still got a TBD <laughs> here on the Wikipedia page. Um, do you think we should try to make most of the journey or just a portion of the journey on hot air? Most of it. Okay. I assume that some of the train will be impassable. <laughs> yes. We'll have to uh, fire up the dirigible. Yeah. I'm excited. I am too. I am too. I don't think we'll ever return. When I have to bury you atop a mountain in South America, I will mark it and say some words. Somebody else to say the words. No, I got it. I already got it. I've been somebody working on that in my really, mind for a long time. Somebody who doesn't even really know me. What I'm going to say over Ben Folks is great. Almost from the day I met you, I've been 